This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product. With amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Context Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by James Perchin, player development coach and director with PGC Basketball Coach. Thanks for taking the time to jump on today. Been looking forward to this all summer. Justin, really appreciate you having me. Looking forward to talking hoops and life and anything I can add value to. 
Fantastic. Why don't you get us started by taking us through your background as a coach? How did you end up coaching? What was the process like for you landing your first job? And then all these various steps along the way, which has put you in a position to be a consultant at times these days. Yeah. So really got the passion from my dad. He started off as a swim school teacher and my passion was working with kids, but in the basketball realm, I had a great mentor named Mike Wozniak. He played at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo from Indiana, and he ran just a fantastic AAU team in San Luis. So started coaching with him when I was in high school, and that's how I got my, I would say, degree in basketball, learning from him and how he teaches offense and how he deals with running a program. After that, I went to University of Oregon, where I worked with the women's team, and that's where my passion for working with girls started and I helped Mike start an all-girls AU team in San Luis, also coaching for JUCO for six months and quickly got out of that and then got into involved with two great companies. One was PGC Basketball and uh, Pure Sweat. And Pure Sweat's where I have worked with the NBA pre-draft for a couple years and understanding how to work with individual players and groups. And with PGC, I started being able to direct camps this past year and direct camps all across the world through myself and Pure Sweat. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. It's funny. Waz was actually here last week, popped by the office just randomly during the, the car week festivities. He was up here golfing and came by and we wandered around campus. So small world. But uh, since you started there, let's go all the way back to... Your work with, let's say, traditional programs. Let's start there. So you said U of O, little junior college. You talked about doing a high school thing for a while. Talk to me about what you learned being in those more formal settings that has stayed with you throughout, right? As you now are more in a player development mode, right? So what did you learn being part of a more traditional uh, education-based program that has stayed with you? What would you offer as some takeaways there? Yeah, we'll start at U of O since that was my first stint at it. I quickly learned how to deal with so many things that are not basketball. Like how do you deal with people outside of the realm of including from parents to sponsors to donors to making sure that your ticket sales people are happy? Then really off the court, how to make sure everything is right for the players and coaches before they step onto the floor for a practice or a game. And that's where I learned as a manager from the back end. And Oregon was just such a pristine program. That's okay. This is world-class is how they do things. And then going from that to my first job as an assistant at a junior college where there's not much funding, you're dealing with players who typically have, are there for one of three reasons. One, they're not good enough to go play at the next level. Number two, attitude, off the court issues are three grades. And it's usually not number one. It's usually the other two. So learning how to deal with just backgrounds from all over. And that that's that was something that I learned quickly at a junior college. I've heard different people have different takes on the junior college experience where some of them love it and they tend to be lifers there. And some of them, you know, to your point, it was like, okay, that wasn't my scene. What are the things that you think jump out for people that love it and are long-termers about that level 
And how does that contrast for you in the sense of this wasn't what I was looking for? What were you on to next after that was pulling at you? Yeah, I think people love it for one of two reasons. It's one that they've been through it. They were were a player or maybe they had siblings go through it. They understand the JUCO route. And me coming from, again, a University of Oregon to that was very difficult for me. And and number two, a big reason why I think people love it, it's like you can absolutely change more lives at a JUCO than I think any other level just because of the backgrounds that you're dealing with. And you can either put them in place to, for the first time ever going to college in their family and helping them succeed into a sport or just a life experience that they may have never other, other had if it wasn't for basketball. For me, I was seriously getting into the individual skill. Drew Hanlon was a big mentor of mine and I loved what he was doing. And I thought that was my ticket to either work with the NBA or just higher level players. Yeah. And so from there, meeting with Drew Hanlon, and you mentioned you're part of Pure Sweat. Can you talk a little bit about that organization, what role you play, the ways in which you've seen the game change, the ways in which your approach and methodology has changed over the years based on working both with that organization first, and then we'll pivot into PGC. Yeah, I think players are more now skilled than ever. And uh, I think Drew has had a huge impact on that because he really hit the social media aspect super hard right when it was blowing up with individual players. When he had his first pre-draft stuff going on at UC Santa Barbara, those videos just went viral. And that kind of made the the training business skyrocket. Anyone who puts their minds and work to it can absolutely do it. And so Drew was hiring some skill coaches and I hopped on with him at two, in 2017. I was just lucky enough, right place at the right time where he was able to see me and hire. And so from there, I've just been trying to learn his curriculum and how he handles dealing with the highest level of players. But how do I trickle down to players that I work with who are in college, high school, or maybe even just starting out basketball, but everything that I've learned from him as far as individual skill base. It's like work on stuff that happens most in games. And I think that's the most important thing that players at any level should be able to do. I'm excited that you said that. And here's why. There has traditionally been a tension arc between the team coaches and the skill development trainers. And I'm curious what your take is both on that relationship and the ways in which both the trainer and the team coach can best keep the athlete at the center of the equation rather than the ego fight that often happens. And the reason I'm happy you asked that question is work on the things that happen most in games how much conversation is being had between say you and the coach of said player that you're training to make sure that everyone is in alignment, a couple of different ways that you can talk through this, but I'd love to get your take on that relationship in general. And then as a follow-up, how important it is to be in partnership with the person that they're actually playing for. Man, Justin, that's such a great question. I learned very early that I'm not the one determining their playing time. Your high school coaches or your college coaches. So in order for us to work together, those conversations have to start as early as possible. 
I learned quickly that I think that something that I do differently is before I even work with the player, I want to know who their club coaches. I want to know who their high school coaches or college coaches, because they're not necessarily for the most part working on individual skill with them. They're so worried about doing so much other things that I'm able to be in the gym with the player three, four times a week. And really important that we're going to be, we're going to have a relationship here, the coaches and myself, because I want them to trust me and I want to trust them. And ultimately we want what's best for the player. And so how can we get aligned with each other? We're not always going to agree on things, but it's really important that we are aligned with one another. And you said, I learned this really early. How do I phrase this appropriately? Why do you think that so much tension exists if you were able to figure that out right away? Yet there's a ton of people in the space. What advice would you have for those that are in your line of work versus what advice would you have for people that are mine that are coaching the team, but have players who have other people in their lives? Great question. I think it's, I think it's the trainer's responsibility because for one, they're most likely the ones getting paid. They're doing this on the side where high school coaches, the kids are going to play with them. They go to the school. And I'm not saying it's wrong that if a high school coach reaches out to a skill coach, but I would say, again, I made the mistake early on of not doing that and uh, did not have a great relationship with one high school coach. And I said, I'm never going to make that mistake again. Even if I don't get along with them, it's very important that we just say, hey, I'm going to reach out to you. Let's what, can we grab a coffee. Can we get alignment on what areas is your player going to get in games next year? Or what do they need help with most? How can I help your program rather than telling them, hey, this is what we're working on and this is how you need to use your player? Because that's not in the best interest for anybody. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think that's sage wisdom. Let me follow up with one more question on this because it's something that I've encountered over time and I don't necessarily think my response probably lands as well as some others. Often you will run into, often's a strong word, but occasionally you will run into the athlete or parent who has been talking to their skill development coach and are relaying whatever said that, hey, he says my kid can be the best guard in the county. And from, say, their coach's take, it's like he's not even going to be on a varsity team. So my response currently has been, you're paying that person, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. They want you to come back, right? Yeah. So of course, they're going to tell you things like that. How do you navigate that balance of being transparent and honest and also not setting these athletes up for disappointment and failure based on your messaging when like you said, you're always reaching out to the coach, but at the same time, they're going to spend more time with you. So how do you navigate that to set realistic expectations for each one of these athletes so that they can grow on their own timeline and run their own race and not necessarily get hampered by resentment because the person that does control their playing time has a different perspective? Yeah, I'd probably do it differently. But I would say for any like trainers who are just starting out, that's one of the toughest things because it, but I, the biggest advice I can say is tell the truth early to the athlete. Like I say, tell a lot of athletes, like, hate me now, thank me later. Because that's where the money's at later on. You don't know, everyone wants the short-term success. 
everyone wants to see it happen so fast, but that's just so unrealistic. And that's what a lot of hard young, that's what's really hard for a lot of young coaches and trainers to get to because they want to please, they're going to be people pleasers. And I think it's really important that you have transparency and honesty with players and athletes immediately. And you can have, and what we do is like, you can set goals. You can say, Hey, this is where you are, but this is where we would be in three to six months. And that's the conversation you got to have with the coach as well. Hey, this is what I told him. And this is where, where he is or she is. And this is where they need to be. We hope that they can be in six months if they put in the work. Yeah, no doubt. I just think that communication piece that you mentioned is super important because as soon as there's cross messaging happening, that's where the tension ends up coming from. And the, you said early on that we want to be in alignment and I want to walk alongside of whoever's working out my kids to make sure that the messaging is consistent. Because if not, then that's where the conflict comes from. Let's pivot now to PGC basketball and the work you do with them, which I would say, based on my experience, is actually more team focused than individual. You're still doing skill development. You're still doing player development. But the overarching message there is how do you enhance whatever environment you're in? which is not a message that is usually getting translated when you're doing individual skill development, because that's about the player. So talk a little bit about that organization, what you've learned there. I'd love to know what has filtered into your training from there as you combine the two curriculums. Yeah, it's great. PGC, I was very fortunate to first hear about it from my high school coach. And I thought it was only for point guards. I wasn't a point guard, but the people who went got extremely better. I was like, oh, this is a great, this sounds like a great camp. And when I started training players and even at Oregon, they all like a lot of players went to PGC. So I always heard about it and players always came back and told me like, James, you need to go to PGC, go in as an observing coach or work. And I was always too busy to do it. And I always had something in the way. And then finally one summer I just said, I'm going. And luckily Dustin Auburn and Tyler Costin were the directors and I thought I knew everything about basketball before. And I go there and I learned I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> and how to really, for one, just, okay, how do you lead a staff? How do you lead observing coaches? How do you lead an entire group? Like, how do you start them right here? And then how do you get them here one day? In four days, how do you do that? And PGC does a better job than anyone of that, of getting a group together and getting them where they need to be by the end of the week. But as far as what I learned with PGC, I think for one, it's the communication piece. That's what I've taken away most of how do you be transparent with one, yourself, and then two, the just the close people around you, your staff, and then third is just the athletes. And so make sure you just have a strong communication between anyone that your players are gonna be around, or maybe even your the coaches who you are around most. Yeah, so let's dig into that a little bit, because as you've listened to these and Dustin's been on, Chad's been on, Tyler's been on, but what I'd love for you to articulate for new listeners or even veteran listeners, when you say communication, all right, let's talk about that as a coach, as a leader. What would you say are some low-hanging fruit that you can offer to people setting up, say, in activity or daily practice, or even in regards to how they do a large group 
endeavors. Talk a little bit about some of the key points that you think are super important that you finally got to practice this year as a director after watching it for however many years and what you learned through that experience. Yeah, I love how PGC uh, does celebrations. Every single meeting that we go into, doesn't matter if it's just a one-on-one meeting or if it's a if it's our leadership meeting with just a couple of our staff or if it's our big staff-wide calls or director calls, we always start with celebrations. And just to get the mood right, you could be celebrating anything that's going on in your life or celebrate someone who's in the room. And that, that's number one, what I've taken away with communication. And from there is, is okay, we have some bullet points that we're going to get to in topics and then make sure that we always leave room for questions or anything that needs clarity because clarity creates consistency. And that's what we want even with our staff, our program, our teams, because if there's, again, miscommunication from the head coach to the eighth man on the team, we're not going to be where we need to be. So as much consistency and clarity, the better. Awesome. So I want to get away from PGC specifics, but I want to talk about concepts that you have been able to transfer into your own training work. And so what I mean by that is vocabulary, right? Sticky messages, things that are, let's call them acronyms, but ways in which the vocabulary of that organization is streamlined. So if you were to say, talk about a DJ, like I'm going to know what that is, but other people aren't. So it's like, how have you evolved your own communication within your personal training work to have your own set of vocabulary and sticky messages and things that you have found super valuable that you can offer to others? Yeah, make it short and sweet and make it, you said sticky. That's such a a great term, but again, like pure sweat has their own terms. Like I would say even PGC has their own terminology. Coaches all over the place might call closeout something different. So again, how do you how do we create consistency and clarity in that? Again, making sure that again you and your athletes are aligned with what you're talking about. Really being consistent on it. If I say close out, and then the next time I'm saying stride stop on a close out, there, what's that mean? So making sure that you guys have consistency on what you're teaching, and I guess with understanding like different PGC and pure sweats or any other basketball terminology, okay. What do these things have in common with each other? And what would it make stick to the fourth grader that I'm working with today? Or what's going to make it stick with the with another player? But I would say within the program that I'm teaching, that's it has to be what they're aligning with. Yeah, and that's like 10,000 foot conceptual overview. And what <laughs> I would love for you to do is dig into the weeds here on where you have seen programs that have not taken the time to flush out their vocabulary and messaging the way in which it has impacted them either positively or negatively because you work with a lot of programs you're doing consulting work can you just share a few examples of maybe where had this team spent an extra hour at the beginning of the season to name all of the things they were going to do the impact that would have based on how you've seen it play out in other areas yeah totally from the very get-go, you've got to be able to say, this is what this move looks like. Understanding the moves. Drew Hanlon once told me that before. He says, hey, the most important thing is like after the relationships and character you deal with these players, like you've got to know the names of the moves. And you got to know like NBA has their own terminology. So making sure that you do your homework on what everything is called and how it can work and when it can work, the better. Like 
just say it, a jump stop is, I guess, a worldwide terminology, but you got to understand like each program that you work with has their own certain book. And I would say just making sure that you, when you go to a new program or you're dealing with a, when you're dealing with PGC or Pure Sweat or again, a, a college program, like you aligning with your head coach. So you can really master what they're trying to say. Because if you two are saying two different things that mean the same thing, players are going to get so confused in the game. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's one thing that many of us miss because we're charging ahead on a million different things, especially as a head coach where you said in your experience at Oregon, you realize very quickly how little any of it has to do with actual basketball, (laughs) that those things get missed. And I think the sooner you can not just articulate what you want the athletes to do, but name it so that you can reference it later, definitely levels up your ability to teach and instruct. Let me pivot to this. And I don't even know if you're going to have an answer for this, but I always like to ask it anyway. What have you learned watching other disciplines that you've been able to transfer into your basketball teaching? And by that, The example I usually use is I sit, look outside my window every day at water polo practice, and I'm constantly thinking about ways in which I can apply some of their teaching to basketball. So I'm always curious. And if nothing, if you don't have an example from another sport, I'd love to know specifically maybe a couple of the things that you've taken with you from other influences that you now do as a regular part of your practice. Yeah, I'll take away two from football that I learned. When I was at Oregon, Chip Kelly was the head coach there, and he revolutionized how the game was played a little bit. We were rocking. And so one of the summers, I somehow snuck my way out to train, do their conditioning with them. And so was not part of the football team. But I, wanted to, I was a psychopath and wanted to learn how to get faster. And maybe in my mind was, how can I train future players how to be faster? And the term, the quote that goes around a lot is how you do anything is how you do everything. And that truly was how Oregon did things. Like, hey, when we get to the field, we all touch this line. We all run to the huddle. We So those like little terms here and there just stuck with me. So it wasn't like, okay, let's just run this sprint like this. Nope, we have to enter from the zero, the one yard line and then get to the line. It was just like little things like that made them disciplined. Um, and that's what I took away from Chip. And number two was recently from Ohio State, uh, another PGC director, Micah Mills, shared this with me, he, him going to a practice, having urgency in everything you do. And he said from the walk-on players to the star players to the grad assistants to the head coach, everything they did was competing and having urgency in everything they did. And so that's why I took away at PGC sessions this year is, hey, we're going to compete in everything that we do. And we're going to have urgency from the classroom to the gym, to the cafeteria, to the gym, to getting your showers in and getting to bed, have urgency in everything you do. And that's something that I'm going to be taking away a lot this year. Fascinating. I don't know that the shower at night and the wind down for bed needs a sense of urgency because that's (laughs) supposed to be like a calming period. But hey, you do you, man. It's all good. All right. Let me ask this. From a coaching standpoint, actually, I lied. I don't even want to talk about coaching on this one. I usually ask a question that is, what have you most recently changed your mind on? So I used to be over here and dug in, and now I'm over here, and here's why. It can be about coaching if you would like, but I'm often more curious about the ways in which 
that question lands for people in, say, their personal life, say, their professional life, things that I used to believe and be pretty entrenched on. This is how I operate in this space. But due to X, Y, and Z, now I'm over here. So what would you say about that? I'm going to put it in life and basketball. And the word is building character. And I used to be so ingrained, like winning at all costs. And I told you I worked in a high school for two years. And that head coach, he was winning at all costs. And so, unfortunately, that kind of got my mind is, shoot, for a 10-year-old fourth grade basketball game, if we didn't win, like, I'm going to be stressed the entire day. It's no, Basketball is what you do. It's not who you are. And the more I found out about character, a guy named Brett Ledbetter, he has a book called What Drives Winning. He talks about this, that winning is not a result. Winning is a process that's driven by your character. And... I just take that to heart. I have it hung in my room and I tell all the players that because it's, it's characters who you are. And I think that's the first form of leadership. No doubt. And I think your quote that resonates with me there is basketball is what you do. It's not who you are. And I'm part of a group that meets on Sundays where one of the main topics often rears its head is people transitioning from one stage of their life to another and having struggles with identity. And so I think ultimately digging into that now at your age and even with the kids you coach and teach, helping them understand that your identity does not have to be tied to what you do, right? It's a part of that. And the, the more that you can help them develop that resilience the easier it is when the ball stops bouncing, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen that played out across your own career and those that you work with and dig a little bit more into how being on the process path enhances your ability to make those shifts? Yeah, it, that's a great question. I've seen it from athletes all the time. It's the hardest moment for them is their first year out of the sport. And you said it, they're tied into their identity of a basketball player. So now for me as a coach, I encourage them, find something else that you love. It could be anything. Just so when the time comes, you have something else to lean back on. Is it traveling? Is it another sport? Maybe it's getting into coaching or even working with kids. Like you can still be involved in the game in so much rather than just playing. But always find some other passion. Find another hobby. I can't express that more because you're just going to get burnt out later on anyway. So really important that find a passion that you just love. So I'm going to ask a follow-up that you probably didn't intend, but because it's my soapbox, I'm going to go there. As a guy whose professional life is consumed by basketball, what advice would you have for athletes in regards to the value of being a multi-sport athlete as opposed to a specialist. And for framing purposes, I believe the youth sports industrial complex has destroyed athletics in regards to the intention that they exist for, which for me is to teach leadership, followership, and to learn to be part of something bigger than yourself. Because 
the bill of goods that's now being sold is if you don't specialize, then you're going to be left behind and you're never going to have a good experience. Yet the research and the data doesn't support that. And we have 15 or 16 athletes a year that go on to play college athletics and 90% of them are multi-sport and 60% of them are three-sport kids. So what would you say in regards to find a hobby? <laughs> to make sure that the players you're training and the families that you're training who often are the ones pushing this thing to remind them of the importance of seasons. There's a season of work, right? There's a season of rest and replacement. Talk a little bit about your thoughts on that. And they don't have to align with mine. That's okay. <laughs> no, totally agree. And it starts with a book called Range by David Epstein about how the, the people who specialize actually don't go as far as you think. I think there's a time to specialize and don't get me wrong, but I think when they're growing up, play as many sports as you can for as long as you can. I'll talk about a girl named Liz Brenner. She played at university of Oregon. She was a, uh, got a scholarship for volleyball, ended up playing basketball that same year because she was really good. And you know what? In spring, she went on to go play softball. And they were in the College World Series. So in one year in college, she was able to play three sports. And that's unheard of. And I later found out in high school, she was also a state champion swimmer. She was a six-time world winner racquetball player. And also through the javelin and track, ended up doing that the following year at Oregon. So you're talking about someone who played six sports growing up, probably played more that I didn't even know about, but she was just very successful at six. So I think one sport trans is very transferable to the other and again you can gain all the other sides of the game as far as being disciplined and learning how to just be a good person and life skills through each of these sports that you play so play as many as you can for as long as you can following up on that how would you then advise slash encourage slash support the coaches of each of these individual sports that often don't see it that way. Continue showing the data as much as you can. You got to send the message out before it gets lost. I think every coach is trying to do what's best for the athlete and, and probably for their team. No coach is going out there and saying, we're going to lose today. Nope. I hope no player is going to say that either. And it starts with the communication piece again. What can we do to help each other out or to help the athlete out the best? Like what's in their best interest? Yeah. And I think what runs into that sometimes is the unwillingness to share athletes for whatever reason, be it you're mm -hmm. worried they're going to go choose that sport, be it you're worried that you're not getting enough time in the gym or on the field or whatever it might be. And you're going to fall behind, but what I can definitively tell people that listen to this is we have consistently been our best when the majority of my players play three seasons of sport. And I see them from November one until the season ends. And it's interesting. I think people get caught up in the scheme or the skill. And it's like, you said it earlier, we're going to compete in everything we do. And you can't tell me that someone competing in another sport isn't going to make you a better team because they're learning how to play different roles. They're learning how to compete at different things and it all translates. Yeah. And studies have shown that you're more injury prone when you're just doing one sport, when you're saying using that same muscle 
every single time. And uh, we want less injuries. Injuries are a part of sports. They're going to happen. So you can't use the, oh, I don't want them getting hurt in that sport. It's actually more prob- probability that they'll get hurt if they continue to play that sport for for more times than they would another sport. Yeah, no doubt. All right, I'm going to pivot to a couple different things here. One, what would you say is the biggest misconception or myth about your area of expertise, your profession, specifically being the trainer slash consultant hat, right? Because that those words come with baggage. What would you say is the most common myth or misconception that you run into? And how would you like to educate the rest of the coaches that primarily are team-based coaches on the, our listenership? Yeah, I'd say the, the one thing that I see is trainers on social media. And that's all that they know. And when has a trainer ever been to a game before? When has a trainer ever seen them play and co- or come to a practice? And that goes back to the beginning of our conversation of very important that get more alignment with each other. Because if you don't, then there's just going to be a constant rift between you and the coach. And then the player's going to be, you're talking about a kid is going to be put in a pickle and he don't want that. And they'll never be able to be at their best if they have two people pulling from you. So as much as you can get on the same page and understand. So you tell the coach, say, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'll be able to post this on social media. And so you guys just better have an understanding of each other. Awesome. I appreciate that. The other thing I want to give you an opportunity to talk about is the space that you and Dustin have created for sharing information and wisdom. Can you talk a little bit about the Basketball Academy, the way in which you structure that, what the community is like, and how people can get involved with that? Yeah, Dustin and I have had a blast doing it so far. We're about six months in. It's a newsletter that we have out weekly every Thursday. And it started out as, I would say, most newsletters suck because they're just too long to read. And I'd say, if I have to read longer than five minutes, I'm probably not reading it. So how can I make a newsletter that has some valuable content? And then Dustin started making his must-add actions. And I thought, hey, I want a like basketball like story piece or skill piece with a must-add action and then like a life skill. If we can just do three things and make it, again, five minutes or less to read or watch. And I think we can get a lot of subscribers. So we are, we're on our way, but it's just trying to make it short and sweet and valuable. What is an example or a handful of feedback that you have received that wasn't just, I love this? Meaning, hey, I would love to see X in this newsletter. What are some of the things that you have found people clamoring for? People love stories of athletes that can relate to them. Mm-hmm. I'll sh- share a quick piece. It was PJ Tucker talking about how he was being filmed when he was on the bench and in pregame warmups. Mm-hmm. And then the team brought him up right before the playoffs and cut him, showing him a video of him not behaving to the standards of their team. And so that's something that all players relate to. It's, hey, if I'm not going to play today, I'm not going to warm up. I'm not going to be a good teammate today. So imagine yourself being filmed. How are you going to behave? Completely different. So those are stories that people love. Hey, hey guys, or WNBA gals, like 
they're honestly not too different from you. They're going through the same things. They're just doing it on another level. So things that, that they can relate to more the better for players and coaches love that too. Cause now we can explain this to our players. Yeah. The irony of that is PJ Tucker has become known as an ultimate glue guy at this point. And that was probably right. a transformational moment in his career that allowed him to see firsthand that your actions have impact beyond you. And I love that story for both our listeners and also just in regards to the power that it had for him, obviously. All right, let's wrap with this. Where can people find you if they want to be part of your community and any other resources that you have found valuable that you would like to offer up for people that may or may not have anything to do with you? Yeah, I would say the Basketball Academy, subscribe to that. That's a that's something we're trying to continue to add value to players and coaches around the world. And then number two would just be my social media handles. It's just at James Perch and I use Instagram and I use Twitter. Love it. Appreciate you taking the time, Coach, to come on. Glad you're back home for a little bit from the, the summer of being a road warrior. Hopefully you can hit the reset button and get back out there to serve this fall. Always. Appreciate you having me, Coach. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, sending the great messages to your coaches and players and keep making an impact all around the world as well. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.